0: My name is Buzz. I'm the pastor for young adults here at Three Crosses. And I'm really excited to be here this morning. I mean, when Larry texted me five minutes ago to ask me to share, I was like, wow, what an honor. I didn't know why. And then I saw it's probably because the orchestra pit is open. It's scary up here, guys. I might fall in there. Who knows? We also deceived you because you have a sermon outline in there and you thought, oh, Larry's here today. I feel safe. You know, there's notes, I'm very comfortable. When Danny preaches, who knows what he's going to say, you know? (laughs) I don't even think Danny knows what he's going to say. But, of course, I'm just teasing. I I love working for Larry uh, here at this church because Larry models what it means uh, to be a pastor who really cares about people. When he brings us the Word, uh, he loves us. You know, he cares about us. I want to be a pastor like that. And so I'm really grateful for Larry. I think we all are. Uh, Larry understands the power of coming together to worship Christ uh, in this room. So it's a great, humble privilege that I have this morning to share with you. Just like Sarah taught us this morning, God is big, but he's also here with us, speaking to us, revealing himself to us. I think he wants to be found this morning. Uh, to say this room here is powerful is not to exclude our online listeners. I want to say hello to you as well. Perhaps that is just a thinly veiled, hi, mom. So, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say hi to my mom over the internet because uh, we moved out here in October to take the role here at the church, uh, which is maybe why you haven't seen me around that much. And then I joined the pastoral staff in January when we reimagined our young adults' 20s and 30s ministry. And let me just say that our young adults are amazing. We've heard from some of them this morning on the worship team. Just powerful, gifted, talented. The news is really good as concerns the younger generation. Uh, We have a, a church that believes in young people, and I'm really thankful for that. So thank you for the privilege in allowing me to minister within our community to some of the younger generations. You may also have seen me around Kaleo, where my wife and I attend most Sundays uh, when we feel like it, of course. That's when you go to church too, right? When you feel like it. Tara and I have attended, uh, we haven't attended, we have been married for 10 years last month. It's important to keep track, you know. Thank you. Tara is my best friend. She is amazing. I wouldn't be the person I am without her. In fact, even last night, we were watching the Olympics, and I wanted to get some donuts and go to bed. And she says, no, we should go for a run. And I was like, who, does, who runs at 10 at night? This is the worst. I want a donut, and I want to go to bed. I see many of you guys want to go to bed here this morning as well, so you understand where I'm coming from, you know? Together, uh, Tara and I have literally 1,000 children. Uh, that may or may not be accurate. I might have got myself confused with Pastor Danny and his 1,000 children. <laughs> but uh, I actually just have four boys, uh, age seven, five, three, and 1. And uh, I know, right? Pray for Tara, my wife. Maybe that's why she wanted to go for a run, just to get out, you know? Uh, they each eat a, as much as an adult man. Uh, why do kids do this? I told my oldest son, Roman, that if he wants to keep on eating, he needs to get a job. You're 7, <laughs> It's time, you know. It's time. You have to get a job. We've literally had to pursue a home equity loan to keep the kids' grocery bill going. We don't even have a house, but I'm trying to figure out ways to take money out of it. This is literally my life story, which, of course, is a joke. But isn't it funny how the word literally has become to mean, in fact, its exact opposite? You know, I say literally, but you know, I just mean figuratively but with ironic emphasis, to be hilarious, you know? <laughs> what you'd expect from the plain meaning of the sentence isn't what you get. Literally is a clue. I don't know how that happened in our language, but I feel like our text today here in Matthew chapter 21, is kind of the same idea. What we expect to see from Jesus is, in fact, the exact opposite. So as we turn here to Matthew chapter 21, uh, reading verses 1 through 11. I want to kind of remind us that our text today stands in a long line of passages in Matthew that are asking both the people in the story as well as us as modern readers and hearers, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? His identity is central. Let's read God's Word together. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. He will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So, as we can see, the identity of Christ is central. Who is this? We see it not only here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, but we've heard this question before throughout Matthew. In Matthew chapter 8, we see Jesus stilling the storm. His disciples were worried, but Jesus awoke and stilled the storm, and they asked, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and waves obey him? The disciples weren't ready for a Jesus who was divine and supernatural beyond what they could imagine. He made them uncomfortable in his greatness. Who is this? In Matthew chapter 13, the crowds have the opposite problem. This is when Jesus goes home to teach in his hometown in Nazareth, and people were offended at him. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? Are not his brothers and his sisters here? Isn't this this guy we've known our whole lives? Why does he presume to teach us like the Christ?" They wanted a Messiah that's bigger than them and separate than them, not somebody that they were familiar with, that they were intimate with. They weren't ready for the full humanity of Christ. They wanted someone else. In Matthew chapter 16, we see Peter's confession. The disciples are even a bit afraid to go out on a limb, speaking about who Jesus is, when he said, who do you say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say this, others say that other thing. And finally, Peter gets it. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But in some ways, the identity of Christ is still a secret. Looking ahead, spoiler alert, you know, on Jesus' trial, they ask the same question in Matthew chapter 26. They demand that Jesus tell them, are you indeed the Son of God? Who are you really? Shouldn't people know by now? Shouldn't the identity of Christ be clear? Shouldn't the people in Jesus' day have made up their mind? And surely we, we modern readers and hearers of Matthew We modern followers of Christ, we modern seekers of truth, we, of course, should know, right? If anybody knows about Jesus, it's us, right? Well, let me ask you today, who is Jesus? Who do you say that He is? Who is He to you? That's a theme I want to explore this morning. My method is going to be to put ourselves in the shoes of the different characters in this story and to see what were they thinking about Jesus, My hope is that by seeing Christ through their eyes, that we will see Him more clearly with our own. When I say characters in the Bible, of course, I don't mean to imply that it's fictional, like just a story. This really happened. These people were there. They saw Jesus firsthand. And I think by seeing through their eyes, we can see Him more clearly ourselves. So the first question I want to ask us today is, what was the crowd thinking? What was the crowd thinking To understand what they were thinking, you probably need to understand a little bit about who they expected the Messiah to be. Of course, in that day, the nation of Israel was subjugated to the rule of imperial Rome. They were occupied by a foreign power, and it was not good. Life was not easy for the Jews. They wanted somebody to come and to set them free. They wanted a new king, a new Caesar... They wanted a human authority. This is what they thought the Messiah would be. So in a way, standing out there for Jesus and chanting and laying down palm branches and blankets for him, bringing him into the city, it misses the point a little bit, but in a way, it's really brave. They were willing to put their lives on the line to welcome this king, this king that they wanted, this king that they dreamed about for years. It's really brave, you know? It would have been more common in that day for a conquering military hero, a new king, to enter into a city on a large white warhorse, a symbol of his power, a symbol of his authority. But that's not how Jesus came into the city now, is it? Imagine the Queen of England was going to come to visit us today and roll up John Drive, and I don't know why she would do that, probably for Cafe for Coffee. <laughs> um, what would you expect when the Queen arrived? Probably 18 or 20 of those guys in those weird hats. I love those guys. You know, she'd come in a limo, perhaps, or a a motorcade, uh, pomp and circumstance. But imagine we were out there waiting for the queen, and she came on a tricycle. (laughs) Number one, I didn't know they made tricycles in England. Perhaps the Brexit has damaged the economy worse than we thought. You know, you would you would know immediately something's wrong. That's not how a queen comports herself. That's not how a queen acts. She's missed my expectations somehow. You might think that's awesome, but you also might think, man, I'm just disappointed. I wanted the queen to be more amazing, and here she is on a trike. It's so weird. You know, we always make fun of people in the Bible for missing it, missing the point. You know, if I was there in Jerusalem, I would have known that Jesus was a humble king, not this conquering authority. They all missed it, but I I would have got it right. But do we always get Jesus right? I don't think we always do. I remember being a little kid and growing up, and um, my folks dragged me to a dramatic presentation of the gospel at Easter, right? Very much like we do here at Three Crosses. This was called the Victor, and my grandma was super excited because finally they let her have a part, and her part was townsperson, you know? We didn't tell grandma. That's not a very good part, you know? (laughs) We just were excited, you know? You can be a townsperson. That's awesome. And so she, uh, the first time I saw her as a little kid up on stage was this scene, the triumphal entry. She was waving a palm branch. I was like, Grandma, I didn't even know you could lift anything. (laughs) She was so excited to see Jesus, she put her heart and her soul into it. And I thought, that's cool. I'm eight years old. I'm just here for the animals. But hey, Grandma's up there. That's cool too. Joke was on me. The animals are in the Christmas story. So (laughs) it's my first disappointment. A couple scenes later, though, the, the crowd has to decide, what are we going to do with Jesus at His trial? And I thought, surely Grandma will stand up and say, you know, I was waving a palm branch five minutes ago, let's set Jesus free. But a funny thing kind of happened. My grandma began to chant, crucify Him, crucify Him. Maybe they just ran out of people in the crowd and they needed to reuse extras, but I don't think they did. I think they did this on purpose. The very same people here in this story, welcoming Christ as a king, five days later, chant, crucify him, crucify him. It's easy for me to see grandma playing both sides. I'd never seen that from the scripture. The one cheering Christ as he entered Jerusalem is the same one later chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus had missed their expectations so badly, they wanted nothing more to do with him. They wanted a king, and when they didn't get it, crucify him. Is this how you feel about Jesus when Jesus does something that you don't want Him to or that you don't expect Him to? What if you're asking Christ to fix your marriage, but He hasn't done it yet? Are you mad? Maybe you want Him to give you a career breakthrough, and you're still waiting. Maybe you came to know the Lord, and you thought, my life would be changed, things would be easier. But you find that following Jesus is harder than it was before. Maybe He asks for sacrifice, and you just aren't ready to do it. Following Jesus can be complicated, isn't it? What we set out to expect from him isn't always what we get. The right thing to do isn't always clear, and wouldn't it just be easier if Jesus got on our page and did what we wanted, you know? Of course, yes, it would, right? Just like the crowd. Take the throne, Jesus, everything would be fine. But Christ has something better in mind here. He doesn't want to be a king for that day. He wants to be an eternal king. He doesn't want to be an authoritative king. He wants to be a humble king. So let me ask you this. What better thing does He have in mind for you today? When He misses your expectations, what better thing is coming around the corner? As we talked about, one of the primary ways in this passage Christ displays His humility is coming into the city, running on that colt, the foal of a donkey. What do you think the colt was thinking? I don't know. Do you think as a donkey thinks? I don't know. Do you think Jesus does this like just to keep people on their toes, just to do something unexpected and like He's on the show Impractical Jokers, He's just doing stuff to get a rise? Or does Jesus do things on purpose? You know, I think He always does things on purpose. And one of the reasons He comes into the city on a donkey is to fulfill the prophecy here in Zechariah 9, 9. It's written there for us right in Matthew 21. Behold, Zion, which means Jerusalem, your king comes to you on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's a signal of His identity. If we had really read the Scriptures, if we had really understood the prophecies of the Old Testament, we would have seen Jesus clearly. But the crowd missed it, you know? Here again, we put ourselves in the place of these people and say, you guys are dumb. You should have read your Bible. You missed it 100%. If I was there, I wouldn't have missed it, you know? But I think we need to give these people a break. How often does Christ call to us clearly and we just close our eyes to it? You know? How often do we know the right thing to do and we just don't do it? How often is Christ calling to me to follow him and I say, no, thank you? The call of Christ to discipleship is is the same missed expectation that the crowd had, to walk in humility using broken vessels to display His glory. I think if I was that donkey, I would have thought, I, the humblest of creatures, am not fit to bear the Creator of the universe on my back. He's too good for me. He's too good for me. Do you ever feel like that? as a follower of Jesus, that you are too humble to bear the image of Christ? Do you feel ever too broken to be used by the Lord? Is your sin or your guilt or your shame holding you back from really following Jesus to the full extent? Do you feel like your personality holds you back? Are you too quiet or are you too loud? Are you not gifted enough? Are you not experienced enough? Are you too experienced? Are you too young? Are you too old? Are you not pretty enough? Are you not smart enough? Are you too weak? Are you too undisciplined? Are you too humble to bear the image of Christ and to display His glory? I think we've all thought that at some time or another. And I guess I've got good news and bad news, and the bad news is I think we're right, you know? We're not good enough to display Christ's glory. We're just not. But the good news is that God uses us anyway, and He restores us broken vessels, and He makes us beautiful things. In the Old Testament, there's another donkey belonging to a guy named Balaam, and Balaam was not following God. He was trying to run away, and the donkey had to speak to him and say, please get on the right path, you know? (laughs) If even Balaam's donkey can know to follow Jesus and to get on the right path, I think we can too. As Christ's followers, we are called to bear His image and to be His ambassadors in this world. I feel like that donkey sometimes, inadequate to the task, but God made a way anyway. I know He will for us as well. What do you think the disciples were thinking? What were the disciples thinking? Jesus gives them kind of a strange task in this passage, kind of a random errand. Maybe the disciples were thinking, here we go again, you know, I had to fish out a coin out of this fish's mouth just last week, and then I remember throwing my nets on the other side of the boat to this giant catch of fish. I remember Jesus asking me to feed a crowd of 5,000 with just five loaves and two fishes. Hopefully, by now, they have a little bit of or confidence in Christ's ability to come through, but it's still just kind of weird. Jesus asked them to go to somebody's house, untie their donkey, which is code for steal that donkey, you know, and bring it over here. If anybody asks any questions, just say, we need it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, what if Danny asked me to do that this afternoon? Go a couple streets over, get a car, keys are in it. Don't worry about it. Just bring it over here. We need it. You'd be like, Danny, that's kind of a bad idea. No, no. If they ask you questions, just say the master has need of it. Just get it. I'd be like, Danny, maybe we could like call an Uber or something, you know? I'm not interested in going to jail, like lifting this car. But that's what the disciples did. They probably felt dumb. But they did it anyway, you know? They obeyed. I remember one time I was asked to do something that was very awkward, and this is when I was in Africa on missions, just after I graduated from college. I had the extreme privilege of traveling to the country of Uganda uh, in East Africa. I don't know if anybody in here is from Uganda, and uh, I love it if you are, because then you can fact check me, you know? It's always important to describe countries properly, but I love how they say yes in Uganda. I'm going to show it to you real quick. This is how they say yes. Did you catch it? If you did, just do it back, especially you in the balcony. Can you see? I'm raising my eyebrows like a quarter of an inch, okay? I love Uganda. It's the quietest country ever. I'm a very quiet person, you know? I love to say yes like this. So good. So good. So come to find out, when you're in Uganda, the main way they like to share the gospel is to go door to door to strangers, and then tell them about Jesus. Have you guys ever done that in the States? Is that how we operate? Like, no, we would never do that. Like, it's too private. Like, it's their space. If they wanted to hear the gospel, they'd probably come out to, like, Beauty and the Beast or something. I don't need to go into their area. Certainly not. That is awkward. I don't want to be awkward. I want to make them awkward. Everybody's fine. But in Uganda, they're like, get out there. Go door to door. So I remember going to this lady's house. We knocked on the door. Door was open. She's sitting there on the ground with her baby. And then our translator says, okay, preach them the gospel. And I was like, I thought that was your job. He's like, no, go for it, you know. I felt really dumb. But I shared the gospel with this lady. And I said, do you understand? And she said. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know if that's real or not, you know. Do you really understand what I'm asking you to do? I felt really dumb. I was like, how can this lady be transformed by the gospel, some random white guy showing up at her door? This is just awkward, but I obeyed. Uh, I still keep in touch with our African partners, and now 15 years later, that lady's still in church, she's still serving the Lord, and she's a credit to her village. I thought it was dumb to share the gospel with her. I was awkward, but I obeyed. And now that lady's going to be in heaven. And I don't say that to glorify myself, but I feel like we all have these opportunities to step out and to obey and to bear fruit and just to obey, but we don't do it. We feel too awkward or we don't believe in God enough or, or I don't know. I don't know why we don't do it. So what about you? Do you see Jesus as Lord over everything that you do? Do you see Christ as worthy to be obeyed even if you don't understand? But is this story here in Matthew primarily about the disciples' obedience, or is it primarily about a Jesus Christ who can arrange everything according to His will, things are moving in the right direction, and all the disciples had to do is open their eyes and jump on board? I think that's what Matthew is about, the greatness of Christ orchestrating everything to His will. How is He doing that in your life? How can you open your eyes and jump on board with what he's doing? It's a good plan. We can trust it. The last person I want to see through their eyes is those of Jesus himself. What is Jesus thinking? When we read the Bible, I think there's kind of two mistakes we make when we uh, put ourselves in the shoes of characters. And one mistake is that we always make ourselves the hero of the biblical story, you know, Like you might read about King David and be like, wow, how is King David like me? Man after God's own heart, you know, greatest king in history. That's kind of me, isn't it? And really, you're more like the doorkeeper guy, you know? And and then the second kind of mistake is that we're overly humble in viewing the Scriptures, and we don't see that God really does have something big for us in our lives, and that we are the center of our own story of redemption because God cares about each of us individually. I think that's pretty awesome. And so, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be more like Him in action, in thought, in deed, in character. This is what we call sanctification, the process of being made holy. I think it's okay here to, be, to want to be like Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15, 14 and 15 say this, "'Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess.'" For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Isn't that comforting? Jesus walked this earth just like you and I did. He was tempted like you and I are. We can be like him. He's made a way. I think that's amazing. So what sort of temptations do you think Jesus was facing here as he entered the city? I think the first one is a temptation to shortcut the process. Instead of going through with his plan of redemption, going to the cross and dying, as terrible as that was, he's like, maybe he thinks, I'll just set myself up as king now. That's what these people want. This seems easier. You know, the devil tempted him in that way right at the beginning of his ministry. He says, worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And he resisted. He's tempted again here at the gates of Jerusalem, and he's tempted again in the garden when he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. He was tempted to shortcut it, I think. Have you ever faced that temptation to shortcut God's plan in your life? I know I have. Maybe Jesus was feeling sorrow. Like, I've been with you guys for years, and yet you still miss it. You want a king, but I'm a Messiah, an eternal king. Maybe he got angry and thought, you guys are idiots. You'll never get it. I'm the only one that knows. I guess I'll just have to do everything myself. Do you ever get mad at people? who miss it in your life? Maybe I've done that once or twice. I can't remember. Or do you think Jesus is feeling solitude, just lonely? Only He can fulfill this calling. That's a lonely road. People want Him to do something. He has to do something else. The disciples are there, but they fall away, and He's on that lonely road. He's heading to the cross, to his trial, to his death, to the sacrifice for our sins. And he alone understands. But Jesus walks that road. And this is what he calls his disciples to follow with. In Matthew chapter 16, he says, If anyone wishes to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Are you willing to follow Christ to where it might be unpopular or when it might be unpopular? Or if you're the only one of your friends, or the only one of your family, or the only one even here in this church today who's willing to follow Jesus. Are you willing to go alone like Christ did? Are you willing to accept the truth of a humble, loving Jesus against the crowd, against the tides of this world, against what's easy to do? Do you ever feel like the only one who does what's right, or the only one who understands, or the only one? Do you feel lonely following Jesus? Sometimes it's lonely, but God is with us, and we're here, and we're in it together. So, I have a challenge for you today. The challenge is to to think about and to crystallize, how is Jesus revealing Himself to me anew as we see Him through the eyes of this passage? Are you seeing Him like the crowd saw Him, as somebody you didn't expect or somebody who you wish was different somehow? Maybe you're seeing Him like the donkey saw Him, as one of whom you're unworthy. Maybe you see Him like the disciples did, as one who asks things of us that we just don't understand. Maybe you see like Jesus saw Himself, as one calling you out on a hard and lonely road to follow Jesus. Since He has revealed Himself to us, since He has made Himself known, What can we do to follow Him just a little bit better today? Or maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ at all. Maybe you need to take the first steps of discipleship. Today can be that day. I challenge you today, as the Lord has revealed Himself into your heart, don't leave until you act and respond. We also have people outside in the prayer room who would love to pray with you. Perhaps you came with somebody who you trust. Maybe you want to come down and pray with me or one of the other pastoral staff. Don't leave here unchanged. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. How is Christ showing himself to you, and how can we obey? Let's pray.